I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. In January 2018, our family was looking to adopt a dog. Our previous family dog, a Shetland sheepdog named Molly, left this world the previous November. We looked around at a number of adoption sites online to find a dog that would fit into our family. And after searching and searching, we came across Osa, a dog who had just been relocated to Canada from Mexico by a rescue agency. She was just over a year old, about 30 pounds, and looked a bit like a cross between a German Shepherd and a Collie. She seemed perfect, so we set up a time to meet her at her foster home. When we arrived, she was exactly as we had imagined. And then she tried to eat our faces off. (laughs) That should have been clue number one. After not even being able to approach this dog because she was so anxious and so protective of her personal space, we obviously said, we'll take her. (laughs) Oh boy, we were naive. We learned about Osa's backstory. It was a really, really sad tale with some missing pieces, but what we do know is that she had a litter of puppies when she was barely out of puppyhood herself. And someone, whether intentionally or unintentionally, hit her with their car. She lay in the street, broken, until a kind soul scooped her up, brought her to a rescue agency called Dibs, Dogs in Better Spots, and got her the surgery she so desperately needed for her broken hip. When strong enough, she was then flown to Canada to start her new life. When Osa was dropped off at our house a few days later, she inspected her new space, and she had thankfully moved on from wanting to attack us. However, as she settled into her new space, we later learned that the space represented control and represented safety to her. She was willing to guard it with her life. She was willing to do anything to protect this space, including not allowing anyone to step foot inside. She was great with us, but aggressive with others on leash, as well as anyone who dared enter our home. The final straw was a couple of months after we got her and we were struggling. My mom was visiting. My mom got in between Osa and our then 18-month-old, and Osa connected. She bit my mom, and that was the final straw. We'd been taking her to obedience training, but she needed way more than those classes could offer her. She needed a therapeutic approach for her unresolved issues. We had no idea what to do or how to help her. We felt at a loss, and it hurt us so much to do this but we ultimately told the agency that we needed to give her back. We could not risk the safety of our friends and of our family, especially the small children in our lives. So in a long email to Dibs, we told them all of this and more. They replied by saying that there was an incredible dog trainer who works out of Oakville, Ontario, who could help us with OSA. And we were skeptical because we felt that we were already doing so much to try and there was nothing that was working but we were willing to give it one last shot. And this is my connection to today's guest. 
Jenna Kingston, who runs High Fives for Canines Training. Jenna is a dog trainer and a rehabilitator and a magician who specializes in working with traumatized dogs, using clear communication and the pack to help dogs manage their emotions and control aggressive behavior, among other issues. She is nothing short of incredible. If you've ever seen the dog whisperer, Cesar Milan, you already have a sense of the kind of magic Jenna works. Within the first eight hours of the two-week live-in rehabilitation, she already had Osa walking on a leash, showing no aggression. Jenna talked to us about eventually letting Osa off-leash in a pet store. My husband and I looked at each other, and then we laughed out loud, imagining her terrorizing everyone and everything in that store. Only a few days later, Jenna sent us a video of Osa sitting nicely in a dog bed, off-leash, in a pet store. Whoa. And while Osa is not perfect, and while we are not perfect, we feel so grateful to Jenna for helping our family be able to keep Osa. To give you a sense of her before and after, check out the show notes at www.talkpaperscissors.info for a link to the three-minute video of the incredible progress Osa made with Jenna. You will also find plenty of cute dog spam in this episode's show notes. In this conversation, Jenna and I discuss how dogs listen to one another and to the humans in their lives. Jenna explains the power that intuitive energy plays in canine listening, as well as how dogs in a pack communicate with one another. Dogs teach us that calm energy is required in a chaotic environment because you can only control yourself and not the world around you. Lastly, Jenna shares her thoughts on being willing to remain quiet and listen so that we can learn from every situation. And just before we get into the episode, as a funny aside, while Osa looks like a shepherd collie mix, a DNA test that we did a few years after we got her revealed that she's actually a cross between a Springer Spaniel and a Parson Terrier with a hint of Chihuahua. <laughs> Who is Jenna Kingston in a nutshell? I feel like that is a very profound question because I could say that Jenna Kingston is a dog trainer, but that's my job. It's not who I am. So I've been trying to dig deeper and really reflect on myself. And now I know I can say that I am a daughter of the King and my purpose is to serve others. I'm very blessed to be able to do that through my profession by helping dogs and even more so helping people. And no matter what people believe, I think we're all in the same boat We're all souls and physical bodies on this journey of life together. And by being able to help each other out, I think we open up ourselves to experiencing love and creativity. You do incredible work for dogs and families everywhere. I mean, we we would not have Osa today if it had not been for your your rehabilitation and your kind of work with her and with us, because it's as much as much about uh, training her as it is or training us as it is about training her as as you kind of uh, uh, let us know. (laughs) For sure. Right. For sure. That one. um, What was it? Nine day board and train. Right. And uh, we were on the fence about whether it would work out or not for you guys. So I'm so glad that it worked out that she's still with you 
that is just a real testament for sure. Yeah, she is now just lazy. Yeah. <laughs> She's now just like a lazy, chilled out version That's of herself. That's so great. That's awesome. Totally different than what she was. Yes, very aggressive, very... Um just very well a traumatic upbringing anyway this is not For about sure. about osa, OSA. but <laughs> but, but I, it, that's so great yeah I, and i'm really excited to dive into this conversation with you about listening and creativity because i think your work with dogs and your work kind of using a lot of nonverbals and a lot of picking mm. up on energy of uh, dogs right. and humans i think there's so much to be learned there so sure. um I guess my very first question that I have to ask you is how do dogs communicate? And and more specifically, how do dogs listen to one another? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, I think that a lot of people overlook this. A lot of people, you know, might know about it because when Cesar Milan came on the scene, I think he brought a lot of things to light. I think that was the dog trainer. Boom. He opened the doors for so many people. And I think, even if people are aware, uh, maybe it's more of like a, a, a subconscious awareness that even we as humans use energy, right? Like you said, that energy, that unspoken um, energy that you feel between each other or uh, even with animals. And they really sense that um, and the dogs living so closely with us, uh, they obviously learn they're, they're very intuitive, most of them, and they can pick up on that that's how they communicate with each other. And then the energy is um, kind of harnessed and and projected through body language and, you know, minimal verbal sounds when it comes to the dogs. But for us, it's something I think that we overlook because we're just so visual and, and, uh, and also uh, using the verbal side of things all the time, using a verbal communication. We don't realize sometimes that we are communicating through energy, but we do it, whether we know it or not. And I feel like dogs are masters of that. So they, they definitely are always communicating with energy first. And I think we don't really uh, think of that when we're communicating all the time, but when you get into that mindset of using energy, that's where, it's easier to communicate with the dogs because you're, you're more so focused on how you're feeling when you're communicating instead of just trying a verbal communication, English or any language with a totally different species that isn't going to understand or pick that up. And if they do, they're going to pair it with the energy we're feeling right at that time. So again, with dogs, like how they communicate themselves between each other, uh, it's easy for us to tap into that because it's their natural language. Yeah, and I think there's so much to be learned there. I mean, whether we know it or not, I think mm-hmm. humans communicate a lot through energy as well. And, for sure. And when we step into a room and we kind of see another person or they like they have a certain presence, uh, they give you a smile, they exactly. don't smile, whatever, whatever yes. is kind of that initial reaction to walking into a space or even virtually like we pick up on that and I think that really impacts the way in which we are open to listening or perhaps are not open to listening to another sure. person's point of exactly. view. Exactly. If you if you are um, interacting with a human sometime you like them or you don't like them even right off the bat and there's not always a reason for that you just don't mesh or don't get along and and uh, even I see that just like a pack of dogs communicating it's the same exact thing It's very similar there's a lot of parallels for sure. 
So that's a great segue. Like what, how, how do dogs listen to one another in a pack? And does listening change when the group dynamics change? So one-on-one, one dog versus another versus a group or a pack of dogs uh, all with one another. That's a good question. Um, With, with the one-on-one, I mean, even just taking me, me one-on-one with a dog. So if I was to be communicating, like, let's say when I was training Osa one-on-one versus having her in a pack with myself um, communicating directly to another dog, it's very concentrated. Like the energy is very clear. Mm -hmm. You don't really get a dilution that you get among a pack where they start to move as one, but there's obviously a lot of different uh, aspects of what roles the dogs play. So a pack would some somewhat dilute the energies. So you, you even see that with a litter of puppies. It's like you'll get different puppies playing different roles. And if you separate them, you get almost a different puppy sometimes than what you see in a group. And that's where sometimes the pack is very helpful when I'm doing dog training, because it allows that dog to have a source of security or it brings the skeletons out of the closet in that dog right so sometimes it um it helps both ways but the dog has to adjust and they they either fit in or they don't and that's all based on um that whole energy idea is that if they want to conform with the pack's energy then they'll 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 mesh a little easier. But when I'm working with a dog one-on-one, I find that uh, I'm able to more directly influence them. And then if you took me and gave me a pack of, let's say 10 dogs, and if we don't have a communication going forward, let's say 10 brand new dogs, which I don't think I've ever done before. I haven't had 10 brand new dogs. I always start with like a, a few dogs and add my, my board and trains in there. And then that pack has been great, a great tool with their calm and balanced energy to influence that board and train or whatever dog I, I have at that time. But if I have 10 brand new dogs, I know that the more chaos around me among all those dogs, the more I have to be grounded in myself. Like I have to be calmer and I have to really focus on myself because I'm really the common denominator there. I can't look at all these separate dogs and blame every one of those dogs when I need to be um, even stronger with my influence so that I don't get pulled into their energy. And then that's where we can make a shift. So they, again, they really pick up on that because that energy between each other and and between me and them, they're reading and they always do want to find balance. You know, I think a lot of dogs, they've been put in situations that they're not comfortable with. It's very unnatural. And then we're so much uh, emotional first. And that's not always the case with the dogs. They don't have that emotional side all the time. And so we kind of get in the way of that communication, whereas in a pack, in, in a very natural pack, because I've been to places where there are stray dogs that group together, they all serve roles mm-hmm. and, and, and they'll shift to make like for the betterment of the pack. So it's really interesting just to see that they work together like that. They don't need verbal language to do that. They just sense different roles. And, and I think some trainers would try to debunk that, but I know that like, that's what I've seen in a natural state of the dog. That's, that's what you're going to see it in a dog park. If you go to a dog park, you can just observe, let, let, again, just observing humans as well. 
but the dog park scenario is like it, automatically you see certain dogs group together or certain dogs start to pick on the weaker dogs. And that happens in a litter of puppies too. You're going to get the stronger puppies and the weaker puppies. And uh, it, it, with those energies, it's just one of them is a little more disagreeable, which is the stronger puppy. And one of them is a little more agreeable, which is the weaker puppy. But if you're not careful, that can, they start to take advantage, right? And that happens, I think, with us too, is like, if we get a weaker puppy, but we're weaker in our energy sources, we're more emotional, that puppy is automatically going to have to capitalize on, on our energy, just because that's how they've been brought up in, in a litter. Essentially, the litter is the pack, and then the family is the pack. And that communication doesn't go away, even if we don't acknowledge it. Yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating. And I think the thing that that struck me most in in all of the great insight you just provided and something mm -hmm. that maybe we can kind of um, dive into a little bit more is this idea of having to almost double down on your calm energy when mm -hmm. chaos is raining around you because that's right and and instinct my instinct if if chaos whether that is a whole pack of dogs yeah. who are new to me or whether that's in a situation where I'm in a room full of people who I don't know or who are new to right. me right yeah it's this idea that we can't control them unless we control ourselves first. Exactly. Yep. That's right. Mm. I think that, um, I think that when we focus on ourselves, then we're not actually caught up in other people's energy and you can control, you know, all you can control, as you said, is yourself really. So when I'm working with somebody who has a dog who's walking down the street and they run into environmental triggers like a squirrel or another person's energy, I think we have those bubbles around us, those atmospheres that come into one another. And like you said, we're reading that. And dogs, I think, are even more perceptive than most people. So they're reading that from a distance. But if we aren't in control of our own bubble, how do we think we're going to be in control of anything else around us when we come into those scenarios? It's almost like a safety net for us to be able to regulate our own energy and not be thinking about what the other person thinks or what's the other person feeling or all that stuff. It's being a little more aware and as you said, just be going the opposite way. So if you, if you want to bring um, some control to your chaos, you have, you can't follow the chaos, right? You can't take it onto yourself and get all wrapped up because then, I mean, even though I don't use dominance, the word dominance, or like, you know, there's an alpha, I, I don't use that often, but essentially if you're following chaos, you're not the leader, you're not taking control. You're not taking control of yourself and what you can influence in your own bubble. So you tend, you end up, the human ends up being follower with weaker energy. And, and then of course, then, you know, like I said, even in the litter, the stronger puppies take advantage. So that's what's going to happen when people go out walking with their dog or their dog meets another dog. If, if you're not in control of that bubble or even among humans, there's an automatic hierarchy that ends up happening, right? And, and, and that's where I think it's really good for us humans to have boundaries and stuff that allows us to see if what we're doing is serving us or not. And so taking that idea one step further, and I'm, mm -hmm. I 
want to ask you, when you have that chaos around you and the only thing you can control is your bubble and that's going to mm-hmm. allow you to kind of listen or, or take control or be the leader in that situation, what physically is happening in your body in terms of how do you make sure that you are exuding calm energy? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, uh, I find that one big thing that people do that I try not to do is when I'm feeling a little chaotic, I try to talk less. Mm. So I try to, to remove myself out of the way. Like I, I don't, if I start to feel like something's going on that's uh, personal or uh, I put more pressure on myself, it's really about trying to get yourself out of the way. So even though you're focusing on yourself, you're not allowing these thoughts to come in that are saying like, you have to be a certain way, different expectations, putting pressure on yourself. A lot of times it's, it's as much as possible detaching. And I think a lot of people start to talk to explain themselves or to, um, to cover up what they're feeling. They use verbal communication, but it really is about getting quieter as much as possible in every aspect, just getting quieter and observing and not having to get caught up in um, different social norms just because that's what's expected. It's like, if you're not feeling great, just covering it up and going along and, and using verbal communication to try to create like a, a little umbrella is not very healthy. So what I tend to do is let's just take the example of if I have a bunch of dogs that even like I said, 10, but that's a lot. Like, let's say it was even three. three I have seen your packs of dogs. I have seen (laughs) photos of like 20 dogs all lined up perfectly in play. Anyway, yes, you are, you are the, the leader of the pack. Thank you. But, but that's where like, it, it, you kind of have to get yourself out of the way and realize that when, like in my case, when I start to get quieter, I'm not focusing so much on control of the other dogs. So I get quieter. It's really important to breathe. That's another one that I do lots of deep breaths and uh, not even, I don't even zone. I try really not to zone into the issues. I try to detach myself. So less talking, getting more quiet, breathing, focusing on the moment, all those little uh, things that are really, really hard to do, you know, when we think of it, because, because we're going to be thinking of, I mean, even if I was to be walking dogs down the street, and one of my biggest challenges, I think, when I was younger doing this was, you know, you're walking by a bunch of houses, and automatically, you can get very self-conscious, you walk by some people, you're thinking of what they're thinking. And I think that automatically lowers a lot of people's energy to a weaker place. And we're not even enjoying the moment. We're just thinking ahead or thinking of what has happened. And and we actually create whatever we want in that moment because of what we're feeling right then. So I I feel like the whole self-conscious deal has, was a big problem for me. And I know that with a lot of my clients too, because they'll think of what if this happens or what if um, it's always something to think about. So really quieting that down and just being very present. I think that's a, a really good lesson that dogs bring to us. Mm-hmm. You said so many, so many things that I, I resonated with and, and kind of, I think, hit the nail on the head there. So I just scribbled down a few of them yeah. uh, in terms of getting quieter, in terms of detaching from the emotion of the situation. And the, the big one is not focusing on control and, mm-hmm. and just really listening yeah. is becomes of the utmost importance, listening to the surroundings, listening to ourselves yes. in those moments of chaos. 
for sure. That's right. If, I think if we don't get quiet, we don't let that still small voice lead us with creativity. It's all, it's all a full circle, right? Like if, if we're, if we're listening to our head and all these thoughts going on, we're not getting ourselves out of the way enough to be creative. It, you know, if, if I'm ever in a block, uh, almost like an art block, but it's like, uh, energy block and, and I'm feeling like in this in in the dumps and and I'm I'm struggling. I'm more so thinking about me and failures and what I could do wrong what I did wrong and and uh and low energy and all that. But when I feel most creative is when I'm most quiet and allowing that side just to flow. Yeah. I I love that. And I I can definitely uh, I I feel a similar way. So I've mm-hmm. I've got lots going on, and I'm doing stuff, and I'm I'm thinking about things. But then all of a sudden, when I take that walk, yeah, and I go with Osa on a walk. <laughs> yes. All of a sudden, my mind is quiet, and that's when I feel like the ideas come. Yeah, it can come up to the surface, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not covering them up with um, this whole thought process and, and overthinking things, right? Like it's, I, and I still have, I still, I'm still learning and I still struggle with things. And like I said, I'll get in a slump, but uh, just being aware and not trying to put that much pressure on yourself and, and getting out where you can be quiet and more in the moment and, and just letting these thoughts come and turning away what doesn't serve you and then accepting what does serve you. Mm-hmm. Wise, wise words. So we've we've mentioned or, or you've mentioned a few things that certainly humans can learn from dogs about listening mm-hmm. and about communication. But anything else that 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 is top of mind for you that dogs can teach us about nonverbal communication or listening? I think, again, I kind of touched on this earlier, but when like dogs, they, they can't lie. They can't really, you know, they can, I think um, what I'm seeing a lot of these days actually are dogs that act a certain way and, and we as humans start treating them a certain way. And again, they become that dog that maybe they're not. So typically if you get like an insecure dog, and you empower the insecure dog, they become more aggressive because that's not actually who they are, but they become like a bully. Like you'd see an insecure child who starts to bully others, pick on the weaker. So when I get these types of dogs in my training program, I don't always see the the side where they're a bully, especially if they're just dropped off to me. There's some, some cases are going to be different than others, but in this case of a dog being insecure, they do somewhat cover it up, but only with the people that they've been able to convince because those people have allowed it. Right. So when I get this dog, I actually get to see the baseline issues right off the bat. Usually, especially when the owners are not there, like the the family, um, any different triggers or uh, that comfort zone that the dog usually lives in and dictates uh, how things are like dictates and calls the shots in that comfort zone. So when I get the dog out of there, I see what the, who the dog really is. And they just show that they don't, you know, and if you're, if you're, if you're aware of what that looks like and you don't coddle it or empower it, that you're giving the dog an opportunity to be themselves and then to grow away from that instead of add layers to cover it up, convince other people that they're, they're aggressive just as a cover up, right. As a, as a front. 
So I feel like um, in, in the case of an insecure dog who's becoming more aggressive through training very quickly, they don't want to be that dog. So they'll go, they'll default back and they'll show the signs of, Hey, I'm really insecure. But I think with people we get, it's very similar, but we get so off track because we're not honest. Right. So we can, again, verbally cover, cover up how we were feeling. And I think we can trick a lot of people. I mean, we say something and people accept that. And I've had to learn myself too, that sometimes if I'm feeling a certain way, it's not always me, but it's who I'm around. So being aware of that energy and that uh, feeling in me and thinking, why am I feeling this way when maybe I don't usually feel this way? Being aware that maybe it's someone else else's energy and kind of calling it out instead of just stuffing it under the blanket and, and just, you know, thinking that everything's okay because they said they're okay verbally and just accepting that when all the signs point to them not being okay. And I think with dogs, you can tell a dog something's okay verbally, but they don't believe you if they know it's not okay, right? So they're, they're sensing the energy underneath those words like, hey, it's okay, you're going to be okay. Yeah, but the energy is super chaotic and nothing has convinced them that things are going to be okay. So our verbal communication actually becomes whatever energy we're feeling with dogs. It's just with people, they it's more easily uh, you were more easily deceived because you want to give people the benefit of the doubt when they're saying, you know, trying to convince you verbally and you know, it's not the case. And dogs would just bring that out of each other. And, and you know, if, if you're a balanced person, you can start to bring that out. And, uh, and I think in the long run, it's to help everyone around you to make sure that you're not taken advantage of or that they're not in a bad state, whether it's a friend or family and being able to help those people get back to balance. I feel like that's where uh, seeing how dogs communicate and how it's so pure and, uh, and there's the ulterior motives really aren't there for a lot of dogs, especially in my pack. I feel like my group is so balanced just through all the work and the, and who they are and their energy that they're going, when they see a dog that needs help, they'll go and help that dog. They won't capitalize on that dog Mm. and turn it into a vicious cycle. So yeah, I feel like seeing that and seeing that we should be able to do that with people and help people in the same way is, is where you get to be most selfless. And that's what I think dogs embody. Yeah. We don't deserve dogs, do we? (laughs) No. it's it's so great that they're here to remind us of all this they have so much to teach us and again I was scribbling down some thoughts and ideas but uh the idea that people affect our confidence or energy for better Mm -hmm. or for worse and understanding those subtle nuances and uh ultimately that actions speak louder than words yes that's right a dog won't believe you until they see that there is something to believe whereas we have we have language or we have the ability to be a little more deceitful. And perhaps that is rooted in societal and cultural norms. That's rooted mm-hmm. in our everyday interactions and our patterns and all of those things. I'm not a right. psychotherapist. I'm, <laughs> I don't pretend to be, but, but it's I, all connected I, though. Yeah, it's, yeah. Dogs can teach us so much about how to be our, perhaps our more kind of our most authentic selves. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. 
I love that. And and I guess just my last question for you, Jenna, <laughs> is coming back, looping back to this idea of the intersection of listening and creativity and mm-hmm. what lives there. Like what what do you think that link might be and, and kind of how does your work with dogs, like how, how does that all tie in? Me specifically as a dog trainer. So taking that, I really do feel like it's an art in itself, dog training. Uh, everyone has different styles of it. Uh, some people are naturally talented and then some people are going to school to learn about it. And really it comes down to learning from the dogs themselves and being open. And like I said, in that case, also being quiet. So you're not throwing your ideas out there that might not be serving the situation in front of you. And then knowing that every dog is different, it keeps you on your toes. Every case is different. And it is really about the person at the end of the day, if I'm working with uh, someone's dog and that human source of energy, because the dog can be very different depending on who they're with, right? We see that all the time. If someone takes the leash and has that direct connection, the dog can shift. But I've had lots of cases myself where I'll take the leash and the dog will challenge me as well. And, and they'll challenge me in ways where maybe, you know, part of that's their past and then part of it's uh, so the past, the baggage or whatever they've gone through past triggers and associations. And then part of it is that we really have a very pushy dog who's capitalizing in the moment and, and trying to see, Hey, I push a lot of people around. Can I push you? So it causes me to have to be very creative with my approach. And I know a lot of trainers and, and not, and beyond a lot of people are taught to just stay in a box, right? Like not to think outside that box. And, uh, that's actually ended with a lot of dogs being euthanized Mm. because certain trainers or people think there, there are no other option Mm -hmm. And, and they're not even willing to, open their ideas up because they're so stuck in a belief system. So when I see dogs and I'm seeing how they, they interact together and I'm mimicking a lot of that same language, it makes sense to them and fulfilling their needs. If something's not working, I'm not going to try to uh, stick that square into a circle hole. It's not working. I can't pound away at it. It's like you have to shift. And if you have to shift, you have to be creative enough to let go of old ideas and try to find new ideas, which I would say kind of causes you to go into a chaotic state. So then once again, you have to be quiet and able to listen to what ideas come your way instead of staying in that little comfort zone. It's, it's almost like it's a repeat. It's the dog. I'm taking the dog out of the comfort zone, out of their comfort zone so that they can learn. But I also have to push myself out of my comfort zone to be comfortable enough to learn different techniques and to not think that I know everything because another dog comes along and they'll teach me a whole new bag of tricks. I've been doing this for years, I would say 15 years. And I still have these cases that come around that have me doing different things that I've never done before. But if I just came into it thinking, me, 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 I have to figure this out. I have to, uh, I'm the teacher. So I have to come across like I know everything well I put a lot of pressure on myself like I'm still the student of the dog right so I'm still learning as I go as well as teaching but you just it's it's a balancing act it's like you're in harmony with both um, where you've been what you've learned and what you can achieve going forward there's always something new and I think a lot of people lose the creativity and I've seen it like I've seen um 
even professionals where they can't get any farther because they have this little box, this little comfort zone they stay in, and it's easier that way for them. And it, it doesn't allow people to become creative at all. You, again, said so many useful nuggets that resonated <laughs> with me there, but just a few kind of key points that that really stick with me. Listening and the ability to listen and really deeply quiet yourself allows you to remain open and humble to whatever you're doing, yes. knowing yeah. that every dog or every human or every interaction can teach us something potentially and, and being willing to let go of those old ideas and those stale ways of thinking that maybe don't mm-hmm. work anymore mm-hmm. and pivoting. And the only way to do that is to quiet ourselves and to listen. That's right. And I feel like um, it's something like, it's like a leap of faith, right? You have to let go of something to achieve something new and to go forward because the answer will come when you're open and when you're, you know, not being impatient and again, getting yourself in the way or uh, trying to push an ideology that is just something that, you know, has served us, but we're not growing from that. And like that ends up becoming a big problem, especially when working with dogs, because they can't, they don't take that very well. They don't understand that they want um, something a lot, uh, much more natural. And so that just, again, getting us into that uh, mindset is very important and being aware that maybe our dog's issues are a, a door to bring our creativity out instead of putting blocks down and thinking, Oh, that's our dog's fault. Our dog is doing things that that's just because they're this way or that way and not realizing um, that we're the same way because they're kind of a reflection of that at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so keeping open and, and allowing us to continue to listen um, also makes it so we can't make excuses or we have to be open to kind of these creative solutions. That's right. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Jenna, for your time and your energy. Thanks, and Diana. Your, yeah, your your awesome insights. It's uh, it's I I we are so grateful here in the Varma household of your talents and your abilities because Osa is a very valued member of That's our so great of our household, and uh, and it's we're so so grateful. I'm so glad. I, I, this is great. It really has come full circle to think back uh, four years ago. And and even then, Osa helped me because I think uh, it was soon before that my first dog passed away. And that was a really hard time for me. So I always look back at that time in my life and Osa always pops up. She's always in connection with that with me. So that that uh, she helped me just as much. That's awesome. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you. Your invitation today is this. Go to a public place and observe people. Be a fly on the wall in a coffee shop or at a train station, or just sit on your front porch and watch passers-by. Chances are that you won't be able to hear what they're saying, but that's not what we're interested in anyway. Instead, try to tap into their nonverbal communication, their body language, their expressions, and their overall energy. See what you can pick up on from afar and what it might be telling you about how they're feeling right now. Our canine companions remind us that there's so much rich communication happening just below the surface.